Crib Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Wall. Crib Notes are a concise set of notes used for quick reference, usually during a speech or a test. In the next 10 minutes, we're going to give you the Crib Notes version of the major headlines from the past week. In each episode, we cover the White House, Congress, national headlines, international headlines, climate change, and some side story that doesn't quite fit into any of those categories. As always, a link to all of my sources can be found in the description of the episode. Okay, here we go. The White House. Trump's personal legal team appears to be in disarray. John Dowd, the team's top lawyer, quit last week over a disagreement about whether or not the president should be interviewed directly by Mueller's investigators. Dowd believed such an interview would be too risky for the case, whereas Trump is reportedly keen to sit down with Mueller to clear his name. According to several news outlets including Reuters, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and NPR, Trump has attempted to tap a series of high-profile, top-tier lawyers to join his team, but many have shied away from the opportunity, citing Trump's reputation for ignoring advice and failing to pay legal As a result, Trump is turning to what is commonly being referred to as a B-team, and even there he seems to be having some trouble locking people down. In the past week alone, he has announced the hiring of four different attorneys, only to retract each of those announcements for various reasons a couple days later. He is left with a relatively small legal team led by Jay Sekulow, a longtime Washington lawyer and radio host best known for defending evangelist causes. The White House, of course, has its own legal team, independent of Trump's personal lawyers. This team is led by Ty Cobb and Don McGahn, and they are responsible for protecting the office of the president, but not Trump himself. According to Politico, both of them are considering resigning as well. All of this is likely to make for a difficult road for this administration, not only as it relates to Mueller's Russia probe, which appears to be moving ever closer to the Oval Office, but also because of a multi-state lawsuit that is forming against Trump's addition of a question about citizenship on the national census. The census takes place every 10 years, and the next one is in 2020. For those who might not know, the census is designed to tally up all the residents of the United States so as to get an accurate headcount, which determines things like school districts, representatives in the House, and shares of the hundreds of billions of dollars of federal grants and subsidies. The Constitution requires that every head be counted, regardless of citizenship. And while questions of citizenship, like the one the Trump administration is trying to add, have been included at various points in census history, they were usually relegated to the voluntary questionnaire given after the official count. Opponents of the citizenship question argue that, given the current political climate around immigration both legal and illegal, the result will likely be less participation in states and regions with large populations of non-citizen residents, thus leading to an inaccurate headcount and an improper distribution of funds. The Trump administration's counterpoint is that citizenship information is needed to properly enforce the Voting Rights Act. Sifting through the rhetoric, I'm going to offer an editorial perspective. I believe that the left is scared of two things. Losing funding for states and areas with large immigrant populations, including but not limited to sanctuary cities, and also losing representation on the federal stage for those same areas. And on the other side of the coin, I believe the underlying implication from the White House is that U.S. citizens ought to take priority when considering federal funding and representation. There are plenty of objective articles linked in the description to help you construct your own opinion. Congress. Congress did pass that spending bill we talked about last week. They got it done just under the wire and avoided a government shutdown. 
They're on recess right now, so there's not much news coming out of Capitol Hill. I did, however, stumble upon an interesting article this week from NPR which posed this question. Do women candidates have an advantage in 2018 elections? The article explores the question in a variety of ways, and here are a few highlights. This year, women make up roughly 24% of the candidates on the ballot, up about 5% from last year. 84% of women registered as Democrats say more women in government would make the country better. Only 19% of women registered as Republican held that same opinion. Women of color are running in record numbers, especially in southern states like Alabama, and Georgia could elect the country's first black woman governor. A 2011 study found that female candidates, especially women of color, typically hold more credentials than their male opponents. Ultimately, the article doesn't come to a firm conclusion about women candidates having an advantage, though it does suggest that 2018 has been a strong year for women, and it would not be surprising to see that play out in the midterms. It's a cool article, and you can check it out in the show notes. National Headlines Last weekend, almost 2 million people nationwide marched in protest of Congress's inaction on gun control in the March for Our Lives event. Organized and led predominantly by high school students, the march received funding and endorsements from A-list celebrities including Oprah Winfrey and George Clooney, and featured performances by artists like Ariana Grande and Lin-Manuel Miranda. The aim was clear, send a message to lawmakers to stand up to the NRA and pass gun control legislation. The ideas with the most traction so far include universal background checks, the banning of bump stocks, an assault weapons ban, and risk protection orders, which allow courts to order the confiscation of guns from those deemed too dangerous to own them. Congress and the White House appear to be dragging their feet, however, having brought only a couple of modest gun control policies up for debate since the mass shooting in Parkland last month. The current Republican-dominated federal government is unlikely to propose any significant firearm reform, which leaves the protesters and gun control advocates looking to the midterm elections to bring new voices into the mix in the hopes of shifting the conversation. Meanwhile, Republicans and the NRA have been making startlingly tactless attempts at rebuking gun control advocates, and the student survivors from Parkland specifically. Iowa Congressman Steve King posted a critique of Emma Gonzalez, one of the most famous Parkland survivors, essentially using her Cuban heritage to call her a hypocrite. Former GOP presidential candidate Rick Santorum had this suggestion. How about kids, instead of looking to someone else to solve their problem, do something about maybe taking CPR classes or trying to deal with, with situations that with, there is a violent shooter that you- <laughs> And the NRA released an ad with this call to action. The only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. Retired Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens published an op-ed this week calling for the repeal of the Second Amendment. In response, Trump tweeted that the Second Amendment would never be repealed. Another school walkout is being planned for next month on the anniversary of the Columbine shooting. International Headlines for the first time since taking power, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un left the country to meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping. According to reports from Chinese media, the four-day meeting included the topic of denuclearization on the Korean peninsula, the upcoming talks between North Korea and South Korea next month, and the subsequent talks between North Korea and the US. Analysts say this meeting with China strengthens Kim's position in these talks, as it bolstered his relationship with China, which has long been one of North Korea's few allies. Up until that meeting, relationships with China and North Korea had reportedly become strained, which helped solidify the strong sanctions and pressure against North Korea implemented by the US. All of which is to say that diplomatic efforts in the coming days will call for, if anything, an even more delicate effort on behalf of all these world leaders. Climate Watch. 
Friends, this week I found the most accessible and comprehensive article on climate change I've ever read. It was published by the New York Times, and it's written in three parts. Act 1, the basics. What is climate change? Is it real? What's causing it? Act 2, how bad is it really? What is happening now? 10 years from now? 100 years from now? Act 3, what can we do? What can governments do? What can I do? Each section is written in a simple Q&A format, and the answers are only a paragraph or two long, so you can read the whole thing in about seven minutes. But pretty much every answer contains a hyperlink to an article with more details on the given point. Ultimately, this leads to a one-stop resource for dozens of articles detailing everything from climate change denial all the way up to global calls to action. It is an amazing resource to have bookmarked. I've shared it on the show's Twitter account, at CribNotesCast, and it's also linked in the show notes. I highly encourage you to go check it out, save it, share it with your friends. It's an excellent conversation starter. Side story. NASA is preparing to launch the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS, as the cargo of a SpaceX Falcon launch next month. The satellite is about the size of a large refrigerator, and will hang out in orbit between Earth and the Moon for the next two years. Its mission? To find aliens. Sort of. It will be looking at nearby stars and analyzing dips in light, which scientists at NASA will be able to use to determine the existence and size of orbiting planets. Armed with that information, it is believed that the next generation of telescopes will be strong enough to point where the planets are known to be and examine them for habitability. By extension, because you know I love doing stories about aliens, they will also be looking for inhabitants. All in all, director of the TESS program, George Ricker, expects to find roughly 500 Earth-sized planets within range of the new telescopes, and hopes to use the information from TESS to catalog approximately 20,000 new exoplanets of all shapes and sizes. After two years between the Earth and the Moon, TESS will fall into the gravitational pull of the Moon, and orbit it once every two weeks for up to a thousand years. NASA expects to start receiving interesting data by mid-June, and you can bet we'll be devoting another Crib Notes segment to it. That's it for this week, friends. If you like the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. You can also go to patreon.com slash dylanwall to become a sustaining subscriber. You'll get fun rewards for signing up as a monthly donor, starting at just a dollar a month, and they range from a personalized thank you card and a shout out on the air, all the way up to a guaranteed Crib Notes in focus episode on the topic of your choice. So if you've got even just 12 extra dollars, that's a dollar per month, about 25 cents per episode, consider using it to help make this show happen by going to patreon.com slash dylanwall. You can find that link in the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter, at CribNotesCast. Throughout the week, I post breaking news and interesting articles so that you can stay informed between episodes. I'm kicking around some ideas for a CribNotes mini-series about conspiracies and conspiracy theories. I'm not even exactly sure what the finished product will look like yet, but I'm very excited to dive in and see what's out there. So if you have questions, concerns, corrections, suggestions, or a favorite conspiracy theory to share, even one you think I might already have, feel free to email me at thecribnotespodcast at gmail.com. You can find that email address as well as a link to all my sources in the description of this episode. One of the things I want to do with this conspiracy series is bring new voices onto the show. So whether you believe a conspiracy theory or just want a chance to debunk one, be brave. Shoot me an email, a tweet, or a message. Friends, you're great. And if there's any news next week, I'll talk to you then. <laughs>